I'm Chelsea. And this is Andrew. Welcome to Hugging and Learning, a podcast where we look back at very special episodes from the past to see what they have to teach us today. Today we are doing our very first episode of Quincy Emmy. Yes, the certainly ep- not the last. <laughs> the episode title is Next Stop Nowhere. Unfortunately, it's not streaming anywhere, so if you live in LA, you can check it out at the Paley Center. The writer is Sam Egan, and the original air date was December 1st, 1982. And Chelsea, this is a fan-suggested episode. In in fact, it is. Shout out to Mark for bringing this to our attention. Thank you, Mark. This is a yeah. this is a real gem yeah. that we never would have found if it weren't for you. Because I was not familiar with Quincy. I didn't, I didn't know this either. I'm I'm happy for the the length of my life that I didn't know about Quincy. <laughs> but now, if I have to know about it, this is a good way to to do that. It's a great way um, to break the ice. Lord, um, we have so much to, to talk about. We should snack up. <laughs> yeah, our snack today was also a suggestion. Yeah, it was. Friend of the friend of the podcast, Rissy, suggested this. A snack. Thank you. Mm. We'll see. Let's let's get into that first things first. Yeah, Chelsea. it is it is Sour Patch Kids flavored ice cream. All right, we have Sour Patch Kids ice cream. Yep. Sour then sweet. Mm. It says Sour Patch Kids sorbet and light ice cream. Both, uh, I guess. Light ice cream is a sour then sweet treat with a red berry swirl and real Sour Patch Kids bits. Uh. Get it before it's sour, sweet, gone. So this is a vanilla ice hey, cream and sour, lemon sweet, sorbet. No rush. <laughs> there were <laughs> there were literally too many of these things in the ice cream cooler. So this is actually vanilla light ice cream and lemon sorbet together uh, with red berry swirl and original Sour Patch Kids bits with a Z. So they've just cut up some Sour Patch Kids and dumped yeah, them in Yeah, they're not going to put full-size Sour Patch Kids in Thanks. It's, right. it's a little bit morbid, though. Like, we're going to eat, like, a, a Sour Patch Kid Yeah, especially head. since they're, like, animate in the commercials. They, like, wander around and do things and have faces. Let's fucking... Anyway, let's, let's, uh, let's check it out. <laughs> did you think of Sour Patch Kid Apocalypse? I went on a bit of a roller coaster. Oh. The first bite I had somehow didn't have any Sour Patch Kids bits in it. Mm. So it was just the vanilla ice cream and lemon sorbet together, which was actually fine. And I was like, oh, this is way better than I thought it would be. And then I took a second bite, which was my mistake. There you go. And it had it had the Sour Patch Kids in it, and that was horrible. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think that the noise that I made when I first tasted it was something akin to... <laughs> something like that. Because it's just... It's tart and sweet with no... Like, they didn't think about whether they should. Yeah, there's no nuance to it. Because I like things that are sort of like a, a combo. Like, you always make fun of me because I actually like, like, tart frozen yogurt. There's just so many more 
chocolate flavors out there. <laughs> I don't I don't mind that, but this does just doesn't have it's just like they took the dropper full of chemicals and dropped some sweet drops and then yeah. dropped some sour drops and we're like, all right, we're done here. And then they were like, you know what this needs is more artificial flavors. Throw some of them sour patch kids in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I get the feeling the rest of that carton's probably just gonna sit in your freezer forever. Yeah. But, but thank you for the suggestion. Absolutely. This has been the Josh Miller Memorial Snack Time Hour uh, with special uh, wing dedicated to Rissy. Excellent. Thank Chelsea, you so much. I ain't no goddamn son of a bitch. You better think about it, Chelsea. So let's talk about a goddamn episode of television. Oh, my God. Okay. So first of all, a little background on Quincy Emmy. If, mm. like me, you didn't know about this show previously. It ran for eight seasons, 148 episodes, 1976 to 1983. It starred Jack Klugman, most famously of The Odd Couple, as Dr. R. Quincy, M.E., a medical examiner who investigates suspicious deaths that often prove to be murders. Uh, He works for the LAPD. The main difference between a coroner and a medical examiner, a coroner is not a doctor. A medical is a layperson that does this work, and a medical examiner is a doctor that does this sort of work. States can choose whether to use a coroner or a medical examiner. Some states have a mixed system. Medical examiners started to take over from coroners in the 1940s, and now the U.S. has a mixed system. But California has a medical examiner system. So it's still the coroner's office, which in L.A. has a gift shop I keep meaning to go to called Skeletons in the Closet. Sure. Jack Klugman's character, Dr. R. Quincy M.E., was actually based on the real-life Los Angeles County medical examiner, Dr. Thomas Noguchi, who became famous for his often controversial conclusions. He performed autopsies on many stars, including Marilyn Monroe, Natalie Wood, and John Belushi. Dr. Noguchi also acted as a technical advisor on the show. So, yeah, guys, that's the sort of excitement that you're in for during the opening credits of this show. Our main character has to say he's standing over a sheeted body mm-hmm. and there's a row of policemen and, yes. uh, and Quincy himself says, gentlemen, you are about to enter the most fascinating sphere of police work, the world of forensic medicine. And it's not, I'm not convinced. I think there's You're not even of, convinced when all those strapping young policemen start throwing up, which oh, is the next thing that happens in yeah, the credits. Yeah, he takes, he, he throws back the sheet and all the, they start fainting and vomiting. And he's unfazed. He's yeah, like, what? Because, you know what? Quincy M.E., tough yeah. as nails. Tough as nails. <laughs> Sees dead bodies every day. Jack Klugman just lives up to his last name in every, <laughs> he is a real clug of a man. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> per the AV Club, we should start by saying that this particularly very special episode is one of the ones that is has been extensively written about. Mm. If you Google it, all kinds of think pieces have been written about this sure. episode. The AV Club did a good one that I'll link to and it's sort of a, a nuanced breakdown and at the end I'll tell you why I don't agree with the conclusion that that writer comes to but it's a good exploration of the episode yeah so this is the last season of quincy although it ran till 83 and this is released in 82 and per the av club article when quincy started it was in the mold of a banachek or mcleod following one colorful stubborn crime solver with his own unique skills Mm. which in dr quincy's case was forensic medicine but by the early 80s quincy had largely become an issue of the week drama advocating for public safety improved hospital procedures and increased awareness of lesser known diseases while 70s shows like The Rockford Files remain fairly popular because of the timeless universality of their underdog PA outwitting the power elites plots, Quincy Emmy is very much of its time and in frequently fascinating ways. There are a lot of shows like this that that just took on whatever was the meatiest topic at the time. Mm-hmm. And this actually has a, a, a faithful recreation, but, you know, talk shows 
would bring up these issues, they would incite some sort of panic about it, and then it would disseminate throughout like the world of, of media, from the right. news, special interest stories, to this sort of thing where they're like, let's not think about it too hard. But you know, we'll 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 pretend that it's fair a fair look at something, right? But it's really just we're gonna, you know, kids today. What are you gonna do? Yeah, the thing that bothers me most about their treatment of the subject in this episode, they're supposed to be medical professionals, yeah, and they're reacting without an ounce of science. Not at all. They're just reacting from a gut. We don't understand this. It must be a bad thing. This is about the dangers of punk rock. Sure. And how punk rock will make your kids kill each other. Yeah, and themselves. Yeah, it's just punk rock is ruining your kids. Yeah. So Okay, so we have this theme that's showing Quincy and all of his dramatic medical examinations. Right. They keep clipping back to this thing where he's examining an arm. He's scrutinizing right. like a piece of, of, of veal yeah. <laughs> at a market. And then, yes, he throws back a sheet, policemen uh, fall over. All of these clips give me the impression that whenever Quincy interacts with people, in his head he's thinking, damn hippies. Yeah, or you're idiots. I'm the only smart guy Pretty in much. the room. And then we find out that that piece of meat arm that he's examining is a hot blonde. Yeah. That he's oh, that's the other thing. Drinks with. He's a womanizer for much of the series. By the is time he? we get, to, oh, yeah. By the time we get to this episode, he's like, in a relationship with another doctor. But for a lot of the series, that was part of his character. He was like a real womanizer. You got a lot, got a lot of women. Also, Strains you know what? credulity. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so the ordinary world of the show is Quincy examining dead bodies. And, and, and ladies. For, and ladies. For the LAPD, not mm. the ladies, the dead bodies. And finding out why they're dead and who's to blame. But we start the episode not on Quincy's turf, but at a nightclub called Ground Zero. Ground Zero, Zero man! A, a very neatly painted sign promises mayhem tonight. Mayhem tonight, <laughs> man! And this um, place is out of sight, bro. Yeah. <laughs> There's a barber pole? Yeah. What? That's what? not allowed. Where'd that come from? There's no barbers around. Oh, and there's a tire hanging from the ceiling. Anarchy. Car uh, doors hanging from the ceiling. Four car doors <laughs> and flashing lights. At least three flashing lights. <laughs> Lots of kids with mohawks and leather jackets and piercings are streaming into the club. Yes. Did you notice Did you notice this one guy, though? Which one guy? So we're seeing all these people, and they are like central casting punk rockers. Yeah. Heavy makeup and piercings and and leather this yeah. and and the whole that. the whole all of this episode every punk rock person you see or hear is some forty five year old yes. Hollywood execs idea yes. of what punk rock is exactly we are we are watching these people stream in and then the camera pans and unfortunately follows this one dude who doesn't have makeup on, Uh-oh. does not look punkish <laughs> at all. He's got like salt and pepper Oh, is that hair? not the club owner though? That's not. Okay, because no, he's the only just, square guy walking no, around. He's got like salt and pepper like around his temples and he's wearing a bowling shirt. No. And it's like, whoops. Whoops, we let a rockabilly in. <laughs> this guy is lost. You, that's next door. Yeah. So it's 1982 and we're already in the extraordinary world, the world mm-hmm. of punk rock. This is actually the format of these kinds of cop mystery procedurals. They usually start with the murder. And so you're in the extraordinary world is yeah. to start with. And then the call to adventure will happen when the hero is brought into that world to solve the murder. Makes sense. Um, it's a way it almost always happens and in you these can procedurals. F- feel that that format in this because they keep saying uh-oh 
is this going to be the murder? Whoa, is yeah. that going to be the murder? And then, you know, it turns out it's yeah. a different murder. So some some Hollywood Squares idea of a punk song, which is toned down enough to pass the censors, sure. is, is playing as we move around the club. Yeah. The band is warming up. Some punks are offering other punks drugs. Well, this is these are our central punks. Yes, <laughs> these are our central <laughs> we, punks. We have, we have Zach. Who's our Zach? Who's our dead meat character? Yeah, Zach. We'll talk about Zach is fine because he's we'll call him Dead Zach. Dead Zach. We have a woman who has curly red hair that's dyed purple at like the mullet. Yeah. In the back, <laughs> yeah. but she has is this extreme makeup that swoops away from her eyes and then her cheeks and then her chin. I just immediately started calling her Swoopy. She's first painted her face unnaturally white. Uh, like the foundation is not skin tone. Yeah. It is like a ghoul. It's like a teenage zombie who's like, I don't understand makeup, but yeah. I'm a real woman now. Can we call her? Her name is Molly, but we can call her Zombie Molly. Zombie Molly? Yeah. Zombie Swoopy? Swoopy makes her sound kind of lovable and cuddly to me, though. Zombie Molly. Zombie Molly. And then Zombie Molly's boyfriend? I think boyfriend, definitely friend. His name is Skip. Skip. It That's took me fine. till the end of the episode to figure that out. Yeah, he's real just hanging out. Yeah. Okay, so there's Skip. Don't worry if you don't hear about him for a while. He won't have a line until the last scene. It's it's exactly um, that. And, and then and then in walks Oh Lord everybody. In walks Abby. A special guest star. As played by 14-year-old. 14-year-old Malora, Malora Hart, who, if you don't know, is Jan from The Office. And she was on Monk. She's currently on she The Bold is. Type and literally every other TV show that's ever been on TV, if you look she at her IMDb. She like a tiny child. Yeah, she's 14. I know. I don't know how ridiculous. old she's supposed to be in the episode. Probably like 16. Yeah. But she's 14 years old. It's it's fucking crazy because she also, like, she's definitely, she hasn't quite gotten that sort of tone in her voice that, you know, she projects with right. all of her characters in the future. But it's like there. You see yeah. like little snippets yeah. of future Melora Hardin. Uh, right. And she does an amazing job. I have nothing but great things to say. And it was, I got real excited yeah, yeah, yeah. when I saw that she was going to be in this. So she is Abby. They've been waiting for Abby. Uh, Zombie Molly offers Zach some drugs, and he's like, no, man, that just slows me down. When we get to his autopsy, have comments about this moment, so put it in your head. Perfect. They're getting geared up for this band, which is called Mayhem, Yeah. Uh, to play, and Zach's super excited about slam dancing. Yeah. The slam dancing that's about to happen. He's pumped. So Abby goes into the bathroom with Zombie Molly, who I immediately distrust, because Molly's like, you don't have enough makeup on. Let's go to the bathroom and yeah. put more makeup on you. And I'm like... Cool. You know what punks love is being ordered around by people. That's sure. really their bag. I um, hate authority, but so what they, should I do? Right. So they go to the bathroom and Zombie Molly's putting more makeup on Abby and Abby's baby face is just getting covered in it's, makeup. It's not helping. <laughs> and then we find out that Abby and Dead Zach are dating, but okay. her mother wants her to break up with him. You know who doesn't seem to know that they're dating? Zach. <laughs> <laughs> like throughout throughout all of this, Zach is. Uh, you know who I think Zach is dating? The concept of slam dancing. That's all he fucking. He loves. Talks about. He does love to slam dance. He just can't wait to slam dance. He's going to fly, man. <laughs> Zombie Molly is like, you should just like go home dressed like this and like blow your mom's mind. She's like, my mom would disown me. And Zombie Molly goes, 
I didn't know she owned you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, it's oh real. Some super square writer is patting himself yeah, on the back in a like, writer's room somewhere like, this is a punk that's talk. What, that's what they do. That's they what they, they hate say. authority. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, we find out that Abby is disobeying her mother by being here at the club tonight. Yeah. Like, she shouldn't even be out and she shouldn't be dating Zach and she shouldn't be listening to this music and all these things. But Abby's really keyed up and she's like, I'm racing here. And do you have anything yeah. drugs wise, Molly? Do you have anything that can calm me down? But not codeine. I'm very allergic, allergic to, to codeine. codeine. Which, you know, why would anybody bring that up? And Molly hands her a Unless pill. Unless it's a specific says, plot point. Right. Molly hands her a pill and says, they're just good old lewds. <laughs> Did she say that? Yes. What? She's on fucking lewds? I just, I, all I heard was Abby say, I need something to help me cool down. Not something that turns me into a catatonic fucking zombie. Are you goddamn, just old, girl fashion lewds. Good old lewds. Let me see, would you prefer a Flintstone vitamin or just some lewds? I don't know, one of each. 1982. Good God. So then we go back out to the... <laughs> Bewildered. Because she stands up at some point. That shouldn't have happened. Well, we find out later that Molly lies. So maybe they're not good old lewds. Maybe well, zombie think, Molly gives I, her something else. I think at this point, zombie Molly is giving her what she says she's right. giving her. Later on, maybe something else will yeah. happen. So the band Mayhem is playing. We go back out to the main part of the club. Mayhem begins by insulting the crowd, Say which they're is ugly. Great. That's something the nice boys of the Beatles would, would never, never do. say. And then they <laughs> launch into their set, which is, okay, I love punk music. This Same. is a thing about me that is maybe not apparent right on the surface, mm. but I fucking love it. In fact, just a few months ago, my best friend Levi and I went to see some of the remaining members of the Sex Pistols, minus Johnny Rotten, play with Billy Idol at the Roxy here in town. And they go by Generation Sex, because it's the Sex Pistols and Generation X Superman, which was super fun. And the crowd looked a lot like the crowd in this uh, in this show, plus 30 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was a lot of fun. And so I was fully prepared to, like, really rip into whatever they were going to try to pass off as punk music in this episode. Sure. Musically. However, I got to say, it's actually an okay approximation of what punk music must have sounded like to people in their 40s at that time in the 80s. Yeah. They weren't going to get any actual punk band to license their music for this, obviously. <laughs> no. um, so they had to create something, and it's not terribly off musically. It's, but um, what they don't capture is the spirit of punk, which is like, fuck, we're not angry for no reason, but we're angry because we've realized how bleak the world is that we're inheriting. Yeah, It's no less protest music in its way than the protest music of the 60s. It's just a little more nebulous because... Punk was protesting the entire state of the world and the government in the U.S. and England, as opposed to 60s protest songs, which were more closely focused on the Vietnam War. I have written down here that they start playing serviceable punk. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> and the crowd goes wild. By the way, we should note that the lead singer of Mayhem is a gentleman named Rick Dano, who was an actual singer and was the lead singer in the Dano Jones band with the Sex Pistols' Steve Jones. Jonesy. He plays in Generation... Sex. Sex. And also has a podcast, apparently, that Levi huh. listens to. So, Jonesy, if you want to come on our podcast, <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a cross promo. Wait, so there was a guy that was in the band on television mm -hmm. who's an actual punk rocker yeah. in real life yeah. on this show. It never occurred to him to step forward and say, I'm seeing some things that are a little inconsistent from my knowledge base. They give him, they give him decent retorts later on. They do. So it might have been like... 
look, you're going to at least be able to represent something faithfully. And also, it's just free publicity. Yeah. Then he gets to talk about how ridiculous he was on an episode of Quincy. Fuck Quincy, man. Probably wrote a song called. There are. Spoon wrote a song about this episode. Did they? Of Quincy and me. (laughs) Yeah. my God. What's it called? uh, It's called like the punk rock episode of Quincy and me or something. No. So Abby's boyfriend, dead Zach wants to go slam dance in front of the band. He's, he's just raring to go. Abby wants to join in because she hasn't just taken lewds. (laughs) She's like, I really need to be active right now. And and dead Zach says, no, it gets pretty radical out there. It gets pretty radical out there. Yes. (laughs) But with the slam dancing. Yes. So then he's, he's slam dancing. Somehow he climbs up on stage and then he gets thrown off the stage by the band back into the crowd. Yeah. Where he starts to get beat up and he can't get off the floor for a while and he's getting kicked and punched and Abby's worried. She's like standing off on the side seeing this happening. She's uh-huh. worried. And then he's mad about being punched and pushed. So he pulls, you know, what everyone carries, an ice pick out of his he's leather like boot. A, yeah. He's got a special leather pant compartment <laughs> for an ice, for an ice pick. pick. I'm like, I, I laughed out loud. When he did this. <laughs> like unzips a little pouch and like takes out ice pick. I was like, come on. <laughs> so then he goes looking to stab whoever punched him last i guess yep and then someone no shit it's a close-up on his hand with the ice pick in it someone karate chops the ice pick out of his hand <laughs> yep and it gets kicked across the room and the next thing we have is the call to adventure this is the inciting incident zach is arching his back in pain the very next thing is we see the ice kick go skidding across the floor and mm-hmm. the very next thing we see is zach's face he's arching his back in pain and then he hits the floor yeah and a horrified Abby is trying to fight her way through the crowd to get to him, but, but she can't. But it is indeed a little radical out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She can't get anywhere near him. Next scene is the fucking morgue. Yeah, we're at the morgue, <laughs> the LAPD morgue. We have crossed the first threshold, and we are fully... Now Quincy is in the special world. Yeah. He doesn't know it yet, but he is. Zach's body is on the examining table. We don't get any confirmation until a moment from now. I was like, it's Zach, right? Is it well, Zach? the regulations of the day prevented showing anything regarding oh. the aut- autopsies on screen. Yeah, we might faint like so many policemen. Right. Now, of course, you can see an autopsy on everything from CSI to The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Sure. Like, there just are autopsies everywhere on TV. Autopsies of people, but aliens, whatnot. Whatever. At the time, they couldn't show any of it. So okay. you just see Quincy and his partner's face as they're looking at this thing. And then maybe, like, you see the edge of a sheet they're holding up or something. We find out... This is a person uh, that the person that was killed at the club last night. They don't know it was Zach because he had a fake ID on him. And they're like, we don't know who he is. This picture isn't even close on the ID. They notice that Zach has X's carved into his arm, which they don't understand. And Quincy says, I've seen this before. And then they don't explain what that means. It's really, yeah. Quincy's just not having any of it. He's like, he's wearing makeup too. Can you imagine such a thing? Quincy's just like, whoa, who would want it to dress like it's Halloween every day? Um, I'm going to set my programming to kids today. Right. (laughs) Get off my lawn protocol. Quincy Execute. Of course, the triple X markings denote a member of the straight edge punk subculture, which... Yeah, he stri- refuses drugs earlier, so that Exa- makes sense. Well, that's the thing, is like, straight edge punks don't take tobacco, alcohol, or drugs. Mm-hmm. Did Molly just meet him? Why would she offer him drugs if he's so straight edge that he has I mean, carved X's into his arm? Molly is on drugs herself and seems that her main function seems to be to offer people drugs at all times. It's either that Molly doesn't know Zach or doesn't know he's straight edge, which seems implausible, yeah. or the writer of this episode doesn't know what those X's mean any more than Quincy did. Hey, I think it's that last one. Yeah. <laughs> 
based on, you know, the rest of the episode. Right. So Quincy notices a deep puncture wound on Zach's neck and he goes in to investigate. Yeah. Cut to... He explains that that something was broken off in Zach's spine. So they cut to examining the x-rays. Quincy has determined that the murder weapon was an ice pick. And the tip broke off in Zach's neck. And if they can find the rest of the murder pick, he can match it to the broken off tip. Sure. And they're going to try to identify this body by old-time dental record analysis, which right. should take just about three months. Right, exactly. How did anybody get police work done in the 80s? It must have been so easy to do crimes in the 80s. This sort of forensic evidence, mm-hmm. fingerprint ID, dental records, ballistics, like the matching of a bullet to a gun, yeah. all this stuff is so prone to human error. Oh, Oh, yeah. And if you watch, even now, modern forensic shows, like Mm -hmm. CSI, whatever you want to watch, they act like this is science. Like, these things, these modes of analysis are perfect and that they never result in, or like, I'm just going to blow this thing up seven times and do facial recognition on this blurry photo and suddenly have a clear photo. Like, that does not exist. It has fucked up so many people's lives. Oh, for sure. We're going to see the, the, spoiler, this, this, the way that they solve this is completely you know disprovable. Like yeah. I'm, I while they're solving it, I'm like, you're not solving yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also that comes after all of the police corruption that we're going to run into in a moment. Right. So yeah, Quincy is. They're all like, wow, we're going to have to get dental records and send away for stuff. And and somebody says, wait a second, Doctor Emily Hanover was here earlier, and she says she might know who this is. Doctor Emily Hanover is a psychologist and also Quincy's girlfriend. And like the living living embodiment of the phrase, won't somebody think of the children? Yes, I called her Dr. Emily freaks out a lot for the Whoa. rest of the episode. <laughs> so she knows, without seeing the body, that this guy went by Zach. He was a runaway. They don't know if Zach was his real name, not even Abby, who he was dating. Right, and that's how she knows who Zach is because she's been counseling Abby and her mother and happened because of that knows um, knows that she's involved with Zach in, in a freak outy way already. Like it's been two seconds. Yeah. She's kissed Quincy. Gross. And then immediately freaks out. She's worried that Zach's death might cause Abby to commit suicide yeah. and never become an executive at Dunder Mifflin. <laughs> because Abby didn't come home last night Yeah, after her boyfriend was murdered. Weird reaction. Yeah, but, well, yeah. Cool out, man. Also, Quincy says no one has been by to ask about the body or ID it, which first lesson, if you die at a punk club because you listen to evil punk music, no Nobody one will even care. You. No one will yeah. even come to ID your body. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Emily freaks out a lot, says that Abby's poor beleaguered single mother is trying to raise this girl while working in a restaurant 10 hours a day. She comes home. Abby is burning cigarette holes in her arms. Shredding her clothes to bits. Locking herself in her room listening to that violence-oriented punk rock music which does nothing but reinforce all those bad feelings. That's a a direct direct quote. quote. Yes. Yes. Violence-oriented punk rock music. And Quincy, here's another little direct exchange that I copied verbatim. Quincy, M, you're not blaming what happened to that girl on music. Emily, don't underestimate this particular kind of music, Quince. When Quincy goes, I thought this was just a silly fad. (laughs) Silly fad, huh? Let me take you down to one of those clubs. You've got to see it with your own eyes to believe it, Quince. I've seen children come off the dance floor with crushed ribs, bloody faces, like soldiers fighting some kind of insane war. Mm -hmm. Quincy says... What could convince a kid to act like that? Maybe the greatest persuader there is. Music. 
boom, jump cut to the ground zero. Yeah, yeah fuck this. this fuck is, this scene. This is so problematic because this person, Dr. Emily Hanover, is supposed to be a psychiatrist, a doctor, but nothing coming out of her mouth sounds researched or even objective. No, she's seen, she's been to one of these clubs. They would never let Quincy run his mouth about medical stuff in this way yeah. because he's supposed to be an authority. He's been set up in yes. this world as an authority. She just sounds like a freak, like a freaked out member of the public, which is fine. If this, of all this shit were coming out of Abby's mother's mouth, sure. that would be one thing, but then she's supposed to be, be like, a hey, doctor. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to find out like this episode is so misguided that if you pay attention enough, it really disproves its own point. Yes. Her thesis is this. Kids have nothing to be mad or sad about on their own. Yeah. Their lives and the state of the world is perfect. Reagan's in charge. So it must be the music that is taking over their tiny minds and exactly. making them think they have problems when they don't have problems and turning them violent. And this is something they're confronted with later and they just shake it off like, right. bah. Yeah, yeah, the the punk music's making you mad and sad and things. Right. Which is not to say that teenagers aren't vulnerable or volatile. I mean, their brains are 100% accelerator, 0% brakes. That's mm. true. Yeah. But the question comes up all the time. It keeps coming up. When teenagers react badly, who do we blame? Let's blame music. Every single time that this happens, it is definitely this kind of music that's doing yes, it. Yes, yes. And that, and, and you can you can put together a, a whole tapestry of of people going. It's punk music that's doing. It. It's rap music that's doing. Yep. It. It's goth music. It's yep. rap again. Right. And then it's this and that and the other. It's just like how long before that just cancels out altogether? It's true. I remember when Columbine happened and people blamed Marilyn Manson's music for that. And then yeah. it turned out that actually the, those killers didn't, didn't listen, listen to, to him. It's just the local authorities didn't know the bands that they did listen to. Yeah. And they approximated, well, it's kind of like Marilyn Manson. And there is some scholarship that shows a correlation between songs with violent lyrics and an increase in violent thoughts in kids. Mm. But kids can't be turned into automatons by music that their parents don't understand. It's just, it negates free will. It negates individuality. It negates the the idea that, like, you can have a thought and not act on it. Exactly. So we got to go back to Ground Zero, where Mayhem is singing the titular song, Next Stop Nowhere. Right, right, right. One Emily thing about- and Quincy are now at Ground Zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you notice this? Because they have like a, a 30 seconds of the band playing and the kids slam dancing. But... It seems as though they didn't think the slam dancing was violent enough because if you listen, they have legitimately put in kung fu punches. <laughs> put in sound effects of kung fu punches. No. It is straight up. It's so fucking ridiculous. Oh and it God. doesn't make any sense. And I missed it. It's just, they must have gotten like everything written down. It's like, well, they're just sort of shoving each other. Yeah. Oh, this isn't. Put, hmm. in, put in some. It's put weird. Some this punches. isn't going to lead us directly to murder as we need it to. <laughs> yeah. So Emily and Quincy are at the Ground Zero pl- pub club in club the most the most narc looking outfits Boy. ever the punks seem mostly unfazed by them though they're just sort of like whatever there is a kind of a solid joke where this girl is like are you with the band and quincy says i'm with the coroner's office and she goes i've seen you guys play Boy. which is 
I thought that was a pretty solid joke. Uh, yeah, except no one is confusing Jack Klugman for being in any band ever. Nonsense. And we learn in this scene that Emily and Quincy haven't found out any more information about Zach, but they do know now that Abby is home safe with her mother. Yeah, here's a shocking twist. Nobody is openly sharing information know, right? with the Weird. fuchsia-bloused <laughs> Emily Hanover. I've been making my rounds and none of these kids will tell me all their secrets. I start out by saying, you're wrong in violin. This is violence-oriented <laughs> music. Can I ask you some questions? <laughs> right. And you're they... all going to hell. Do you? I'm with the police. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Quincy and Emily sit at a table looking scared and confused like they're at some particularly terrifying <laughs> zoo exhibit. Somebody in the slam dance crowd punches someone else. And that, that person gets a bloody nose and you cut back to Jack Klugman shaking his head in wonder and literally putting his fingers in his ear. And then and then Emily's like, have you seen enough? And they scuttle out of there. She, I think she even says, some fad, hun. It's like, right. let it go, Emily. <laughs> let it go. He was just go. talking. Don't, he's not. He was, it was perfectly reasonable to say. Jack Klugman isn't, isn't punk rock music. Don't <laughs> right. get mad at him. Right. So cut to Abby's bedroom. <laughs> yes. It's all white and frilly and girly, but she, in contrast, still has like her makeup on from the mm. night before and her punk clothes and her punk hair. Her mother comes in. Abby's just lying on the bed listening to a Mayhem record. And what is this? 12 hours after her boyfriend has been right? murdered? Her mother comes in. Very straight spine, poofy hair, high collar. Yeah. She turns off the Mayhem record and asks if Abby's okay. Abby just turns away, and her mother is like, you're so much better off without him, to yeah. which Abby shoots back that she's just like Zach, so if her mother hates Zach, she must hate Abby too, which is just really superb teenage logic at work. It's not bad. You know what else is fucking a home run strategy? Say, hey, that guy that died that you cared about, <laughs> it's for the best. Yeah. He was a he was a bum. Forget about him. Right. Abby yells, I hate you and get out at her mother a bunch of times. And I suppose we're supposed to blame punk music for this as well. I've written down, I don't feel as bad for the mom as the episode's music is trying to make me feel. <laughs> That's a really good assessment. Also, she is the whitest lady I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. mom. She's got a real Nancy Reagan vibe. Yeah, for uh, real, <laughs> yes. So, she's, so she goes downstairs to eat some children. Uh, <laughs> Abby puts on mayhem again and then starts, <laughs> starts putting on some not great makeup while singing along <laughs> to the song Choke. And I'd like to, you know, just to give our listeners... Are you going to read the lyrics? I'm going to read yes. the lyrics of the, the violence-oriented song, Choke. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Choke by Mayhem. Go for it. Saw a blind man the other day, took his pencils and ran away. Watched a man die in the street. I said, go to hell if you can't stand the heat. Give up! I don't know why you even try. Give up! You know you're going to die. Give up! It's all a stupid joke. Give up! I want to see you choke. Choke, 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 choke. Choke, 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 choke. This is the song they've been playing at the club every time we've seen them. Yep. And now it's on the record and later someone's going to quote the lyrics. And so it's like, this is, this is their big, this is, this is their man, song. Some nebbishy 50 year old must have like, <laughs> yes. must have like sat down with a single punk record and been like, ah, I get it, I get it, I get it. Yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. So we cut back to the LAPD and Quincy's boss says the first 
sensible thing that's been said this entire episode. He's holding the autopsy report. Quincy and Emily, for whatever reason, Emily's just always wherever Quincy sure. is. It's like, you don't work in this department. But Quincy, Quincy's filled out Zach's autopsy report mm. and his boss has got it and he's looking at it and he goes, you can't cite punk rock as a contributing <laughs> factor in an autopsy so report. fucking stupid. This is a joke, right? What killed this kid? <laughs> an ice pick and punk rock itself. And Quincy's all, whoever killed him was listening to music that literally cried out for blood another direct quote it turns yeah. out that this is somehow in the paper that Quincy put this in the autopsy report. Yeah. It's already in the that paper his before his funny. boss has even yeah. seen it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Quincy has cited this. And and who released this information? Emily seems awfully proud of herself. Yeah. Um, Quincy's boss, who I think we can describe as long-suffering, yeah. is mad and annoyed. I would be, too, if, you know, someone who didn't work in my department leaked official police <laughs> right, business to right. a paper before I, a boss... Got Even it. read it. And oh, surprise, Emily has also managed to get them booked on a daytime talk show. Oh, fuck with this. The Adrian <laughs> Mercer show. And they're going to go on and decry the dangers of punk music. Right. Quincy is justifiably horrified. Here's, here's where it gets problematic, though. Quincy says, but what if I lose my cool? He puts Emily in charge of stopping him if he loses control of his emotions and starts yelling at people. And then, and then Emily's like, but I might lose my cool too. And Quincy says, well, we'll just squeeze each other's arms if we're losing yeah. our cool. And then a single second later, Quincy loses his cool at somebody. Let me get this straight. Two people are going on a show to talk about violence-oriented music, right. making people act <laughs> yes. in, uh, in emotional ways. Yes. And they have to put each other in charge of being accountable so that if they, if get, they get angry and cannot control themselves... Right. These people who are going to take down punk rock for reinforcing bad feelings. I'm sorry, are you saying that they are hypocrites? I don't think I have to. Yeah, right? And he says, what if I lose my cool? I'm like, what if you lose your job? Yeah, how about because that? Because you're going on there, and they're going to say what your job title is, and that you work for the city. You're not just a private citizen. Yeah, and if then you they're go going to tell you this ridiculous, they're going to tell the audience this ridiculous thing, how you cited punk rock as... A, a co-murderer. We don't waste any time. No. Cue the set of a talk show that's supposed to be Donahue, this basically. This is it, basically. And much like Donahue, they have the classic setup. Host in the middle. Who looks exactly like Phil Donahue. Exactly, except this hair. The normies on one side. Right. The freaks on the other side. The, the host swears that they're going to have like a balanced look at the issue. Right. And then immediately cuts to the normies who take down everybody. And then right. the, so the host himself gets angry at the freaks right it's uh, emily and it it's emily and quincy and abby's mom three punk kids including the lead singer of mayhem and oh my god it reminded me so much if you haven't seen the paul grundy interview with the sex pistols it's oh. like three minutes long it's part of the filth and the, the filth and the fury which is a great sex pistols documentary sure. i'm gonna link to the video of this interview if you haven't seen it it's amazing because mm. this man just he's is this old crusty british producer and the members of the sex pistols in the documentary say he was drunk during this interview awesome they just immediately start fucking with him and he gets so angry the thing is only three minutes long the yeah. whole interview what they show of it Perfect. and he gets so riled up yeah and like Susie sue of the banshees is also sort of lurking in the background sure. here and he's like low grade kind of hitting on her which oh. pisses them off further and it is just this amazing encapsulation of like the entire society at the yeah. time of of people being like why are you like this and the punks being like eat a dick you yeah, know like, exactly um <laughs> this is actually what punks yeah is, uh, so it it's it's great it's a great little 
tidbit of history. But so, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. It's like the punks are just not even. They're here, but they're sort of not even agreeing to engage with this. Not really. For a while. Well, we don't. Well, the first thing that Adrian uh, Mercer does, and by the way, his hair is the most tooped up toupee I've ever seen. <laughs> and it's the it's a three pay. It's oh boy, oh boy. Uh, also, it's the color that I describe as golden retriever. <laughs> Uh, fucking Abby's mom is in the crowd. No, Abby's mom is on stage. She's on stage. She's taking time out of her busy <laughs> day of working too hard Abby's and ignoring mother, her child. Abby's mother works 10 hours a day. Yeah. To quote Emily, she seems to have nothing but free time. She's always, she is always free. You know, maybe she gets paid 10 hours a day to put her nose where it doesn't belong. Uh, what is what is his name? Adrian, is it Adrian Mercer? The yeah, fake talk show? Adrian says. We have some self-proclaimed punkers with us, which made me laugh out loud. I was like, self-proclaimed punkers, huh? They would never proclaim themselves to be that. Did they show up at the stage door and sign in punkers next to their names on the security list? How do you proclaim yourself, punkers? Punkers? We've got this flag, a punkers flag. Here we are to proclaim ourselves. We are the sexual pistols. (laughs) Sexual pistols. Oh my god. So fucking Abby's mom <laughs> just and then calls out the fact that Abby's in the crowd, which is like the worst strategy part two. Yeah, embarrassing like, My child. daughter's completely out of control and she's right there in the third row. <laughs> yeah, she's so out of control she's sitting quietly somewhere. And Emily talks about how terrible punk music is and how you can't just reject all your parents' values and not replace them with anything. Yeah. And the Donahue doppelganger asks Abby what her plans for the future are, and Abby like walks up to a microphone in the audience and she says she plans to get blown away in a nuclear war which fair Abby yeah, I plan to be swallowed is... up by climate change caused superstorm so I Absolutely. feel you girl uh, but you know I'll take uh, dying alone because all my benefits run out um, <laughs> and uh, Quincy says I believe that the music I heard is a killer I believe I'll take your medical license now old yeah. man because about that? that's not that's just your opinion of music it's not medicine mm-hmm. it's not science it's not based on anything but that you don't understand what you're hearing it's exactly that let's start with the crowd who starts talking the first guy who stands up is i know what i'd do if you were my kids i'd take you over my knee because violence right capital punishment violence corporal, corporal solve, punishment, corporal punishment <laughs> solves everything will, violence will solve violence but to his to his credit fly fester who's the <laughs> yeah. lead singer says i'd take you over my knee man yeah, it's like, like i'd do the same to you buddy and it's like fair play fair yeah. play well, yeah you're gonna do that and then a woman stands up and she's she says i'd like to ask abby What's so red hot about these punks? They look like losers to me. It's like, cool lady. The lead singer of Mayhem, what's his name, Fly Fester? Fly Fester. Says, you can't stomach our music because it's ugly and violent. The world's ugly. The world's violent. All we do is rub your noses in it. He's right. I looked it up. I looked up some of the main events that were happening in 1982. Yeah, the current it. events. There's terrorism. There are attempts by the government to limit health care. Nuclear proliferation. There's the severe recession in America, which is ruining lives. And on December 1st, 1982... When this episode premiered Mm -hmm. is the day that the album Thriller by Michael Jackson came out, which I don't know, you might say uh, was a bit worse in context (laughs) than any punk rock that you could, uh, as far as ruining lives. But yes, so Jack Klugman, Quincy, he says, 
in response to this that back in his day, there were some people who complained about how the world worked, but they didn't just sit around and, 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 and bitch and moan about it. They got out there and they changed it. Cool story, Quincy. Uh, people hated hippies, Quincy. Yeah, you everybody hate hated hippies. hippies, Quincy. Also, those things didn't work. Right. People in authority hated hippies, but yeah. way to do some quick revisionist history for us. Sure. You're definitely talking about hippies and not the civil rights movement, yep. which is a different thing. Way to act like the hippies were totally like peaceful and nonviolent, and everybody loved that about them, and everybody sure. just got along, and they just got what they asked for because they were so well behaved. Yeah. None of that they respected happened. Respected authority so goddamn much. Abby says to him, you know, our world is really fucked up. The world that you're leaving us is a goddamn mess. Yeah. Which, fair play to the writers for, like, making these points salient. Yeah. They make the punks look pretty naive and they make them look ungrateful in places but also they get out some good zingers about like what actually people in this movement were feeling and why they were reacting the way they were reacting yeah i think the strategy was supposed to be like we'll get out these points that we hear punkers making all the time self-proclaimed punkers but then you know jack klugman or emily hanover is gonna like slam dunk a reasonable argument that nowadays seems fucking ridiculous so Abby says, we're going to inherit this mess of a world, and what do you expect us to clean it up? And Quincy says, and this is the slam dunk fucking argument from Quincy, if not you, then who? He doesn't say, we didn't mess up this world, or, you know, well, we should work together to change it. He's like, yeah, we fucked up the world, no big deal, but you guys guys gotta fix it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um... One of the punk punkers, mm-hmm. uh, Skip, says, all we want is the freedom to be ourselves without getting hassled. We're not violent. We're not terrorists. Yeah. You know, There's more back and forth until Emily stands up and basically screams while Quincy's pulling on her arm in their yeah. prearranged signal. She basically says, Abby, if you keep listening to punk music, it will drive you to an early grave. How on earth are we supposed to see these adults as anything other than ridiculous? Yeah, super reactionary, a, over-emotional. Was there a time when their behavior seemed sane? At t- I mean, like, if I, you watched this in 1982, maybe if you were the same age as them, would you have watched this and be like, this is the po- yes, proper yes, way to engage? Yes, you would have, because all throughout my childhood... All I heard was this kind of music leads to this, this kind of music leads to that, but all of it is of the devil. Right, right, and right. the devil wants you to die early and serve evil. They're and not even like making that. this religious. You they know, aren't like, at all. This is but... just like the music itself is violent because because what? It doesn't have a greater it doesn't even have Satan's agenda. It's just violent it, yeah. for the sake of violence. It is. And and that is easier to push on people as the big problem facing everyone instead of looking at your own behaviors, looking at current events, looking at the way children are treated and raised and seeing that there may be something wrong with that. Back at the LAPD, major plot point. The murder pick has been recovered, and it has fingerprints on it. Yeah. Three sets of fingerprints. But they don't know who's one of those fingerprints is. One is Zach's. Dead Zach. One is dead Zach's. One is unidentified. And the third is actually two prints on top of each other that yeah. can't be separated. Yeah, and they um, still don't have a suspect Of at course this not. Point. But unfortunately, there's no way to obtain uh, fingerprints in a, a legal... Uh, direct right. way. So this episode's over. In the most point. ludicrous turn of events that God happens in this it. entire episode, Quincy says, we need to fingerprint every kid that goes to that club. Yeah. And his colleague rightly points out that this is tantamount to police harassment yeah. and you can't do that. And then and his a colleague... Judge would throw it out. Right. And then his colleague has the idea that the club owner could help the police by requiring kids to give their fingerprints in order to get into the club. And you are thinking that will never work. 
getting fingerprinted for no reason is the exact kind of thing that punks would rebel against. But no, because the next thing we know, Quincy and his partner are sorting through a stack of fingerprint documents. Well, though, you've they missed, expect me to believe. You've missed one step. The step that you've missed is, hey, the owner would never agree to that. And they're like, well, he's really worried about getting shut down. Oh, right. We're going to shut so down we'll his business. threaten him yeah. with getting shut down unless he complies with this highly illegal confiscation right. of fingerprints. And then you expect me to believe they, what, just dusted every glass in this establishment for fingerprints? Yeah, which aren't glasses because the they've closed. definitely been paper cups this whole time. Yeah. I just, it's the way they come up with these fingerprints is completely implausible and i want to be like this is the one part of this whole episode that should be plausible because this is the kind of shit you have to do every episode get some fingerprints you don't understand punk rock that's fine yeah you don't understand fingerprints yeah we got bigger problems here you know quincy emmy it's mind-boggling because this scene takes two seconds and then you know it might as well be a dun-dun-dun and then they've got a big stack of fingerprints. Yeah. So the thing that we <sighs> the thing that we are supposed to take away that will become very very important is that there is a fingerprint on top of another fingerprint yep. that no human eye can can separate. Well, what are we going to do about that? Right. So the next thing we know, Quincy and his partner are sorting through these fingerprint documents, and they identify that the second clear print, the one that's not Zach's, is Abby's fingerprint. Yeah. So they found she's been touching his ice pick, and uh, that's sh- not a euphemism. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> So they find Abby's print on the ice pick, and that means she's the murderer. Right. Except, no, it doesn't at all. It should be cause for concern and questioning. Right, now she's a person of interest. But they get a fucking arrest warrant yes, for they, her. They go to her house to talk to her, and her mother, who, again, works 10 hours a day. But it's home. It's just home. Yeah. She's, and she's, she's made some around tea. Around the house, yes. She's made some tea that she's put out for nobody. Right. <laughs> Get, get fucking be a parent to your child. I'll make tea to set out. I'll make decorative tea. In case anyone stops by, like the LAPD. Turns out Abby didn't come home again last night, and the police are like, we know why she ran away. So we have a warrant for her, for her arrest, and yeah. she's wanted for murder. Yeah. It's like she doesn't know that, though, because you haven't, there's no internet. So mm-hmm. she, there's not been something, there's no alert sent out on everyone's phone. Like, no. They're like, she didn't come home because she knows we have an arrest warrant for her. It's like, she absolutely doesn't know Uh -uh. that. Cut to Zombie Molly's place. What I thought was Zombie Molly's place actually turns out to be Skip's place. Whatever. You can tell it's super punk rock there because there's a bathtub for sleeping in and a huge jigsaw puzzle on the floor. And also the tofu, which is hardcore as fuck. Zombie Molly's doing a (laughs) punk rock jigsaw puzzle. So Abby's sleeping in this bathtub in the living room and she wakes up and she's like, oh, how long have I been out? And it turns... 18 hours. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You've been asleep for 18 hours. Take another pill. And then Abby's like, no, no, I feel bad. I have a rash all over. It's getting worse. And Molly's like, that's just nerves and just foist more pills on Yeah, she's like, these pills will calm me down. So, but she doesn't know that they're harmless lewds. Right. (laughs) Good old lewds. They're just calm down pills. So zombie Molly goes into this whole thing about how, like, man, the police are out to get them, man, because yeah. so they're this different, is actually man. Some, for some reason, we've picked this moment to, like, kick the plot into high gear. Sure. Up to this point, it's just been a lot of yelling about punk music. A lot of people um, losing their cool and it's been, just been like a bit of a, It's been a bit of a culture war up to this point, yeah. and now suddenly we get into, like, the cop procedural part of the show. Zombie Molly says, oh, the cops are going crazy looking for you, and Abby's like, I'm just going to call him and tell him I didn't kill my boyfriend. They'll believe me. Yeah. And Molly says, you're not allowed to call anyone. Too risky. Red flag. I wrote, black flag? Red flag? Yeah. Um, (laughs) But Abby's like, look, they have to believe me. I'm just going to tell the truth. And Molly, zombie Molly goes, 
Well, the truth is, you did stab Zach. You did kill him. I saw the whole thing. I was right there. You and, were spaced out on drugs. <laughs> and Abby's like, um, no, I was also there and I did not kill anyone. Nope. And Molly goes, you don't remember what you did. You killed Zach. And Abby just buys this because she's 14, which I sure. buy that she buys it. Zombie Molly is already like, you must have taken some drugs or something. Which we know isn't the case because we were there. And we saw that she was nowhere near Zach when he fell, that she couldn't get to him, in fact. And she was trying to. So we know that this is the truth. Maybe the Ludes made her move super fast, like Ludes do. Ludes made me do it. That, so Abby is like, oh, I better keep hiding out because now I'm definitely a murderer. We go back to the coroner's office. Oh, also Skip is in the room this entire time and says nothing. <sighs> Just looking on from the kitchen behind a beaded curtain, which gets used far too often. <laughs> like, there are people <laughs> oh going man, there's behind. so much fucking drama with this Dramatic beaded curtain. beaded curtain Slow work. walks through the beaded curtain <laughs> as the beads linger on your Leering face. out behind the beaded it's curtain. Really like, it's really like the actor said, "There's we need something in this room to interact act with yeah. i'm just gonna try something with the beaded curtain yeah right. sure no cool. knock yourself out so back hey, at the hey that really worked everybody <laughs> more everybody. more beaded curtain Get, business go, do the beaded no, shoot the, <laughs> we're moving every shot to the beaded curtain from now on all right quincy's having trouble with this mystery print the two yeah. prints on top of each other no man alive can separate them <laughs> boss says, what if you use a machine well quincy's boss is like say now I saw a computer back a few months ago at the computer convention. Computer convention. That could do this very thing. Let's give them computer nerds a call. Cut to immediately. Actually, I like this about the show that as soon as something is suggested, we're doing that. Yeah, it's true. There's no interim time. Cut to a computer geek taking a picture of the two separate prints and separating them. And I wrote, how would this even work now? Chelsea. In 2019. Here's the fucking thing. (laughs) Comtel is a for real company. No, and this is, this is product real placement. Computer. I I did the research no. on this. Comtel was for, founded in 1972, and the computer that's being used here is the Comtel Vision 20, which at the time cost $144,000. If you wanted this, Comtel would install it and teach you how to use it for $144,000. But don't worry, Chelsea, because only... In 1982 money. Yeah, in 1982 money. That is not adjusted. Yeah, please. So how how much in in dollars is that today, Chelsea? In 2019, that is equivalent to $379,327. Here's the fun fact, Chelsea. So only the government ended up paying the full $144,000. People didn't want these in their homes? Comtel, in their, you know, infinite benevolence, was like, I know that you're paying a third of a million dollars for this, so we're going to set up payment plans for you. You know, you get pay like half when we put it in there, and then you pay half at the end of the year. They had so many bugs. The, The Comtel oversold what they were capable of doing, and they had so many bugs that contractors never ended up having to pay the full amount because they were like, well, you don't have to pay until we get this all sorted out. And then they never got it sorted out. Comtel, the Theranos of 1982. Well, Chelsea, we both have Comtel phones now, don't we? <laughs> and we're looking at our Comtel. Lo- what, what's that? You never heard of them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Turns out that there's <laughs> lawsuits over this stretched out for another five oh or six God. years. Let's live in a fantasy world where this computer actually worked. The underneath print of these two prints, the computer separated them. The underneath print was Abby's. 
But Mm -hmm. there's now a third print, a third person who touched the weapon after Abby touched it, who would have been the last person to touch the weapon, which means Abby is innocent. They just have to find her and tell her. They have not identified who's the third person yet. Except, no, that doesn't make any sense. That just means somebody else. I know. I'm like, that just means two people touched it. But it could be either person or somebody else entirely. Right. You shouldn't have an arrest warrant out for Abby, and this shouldn't completely absolve her. No. But anyway, so now Abby is innocent. They just have to find her and tell her. Cut to an ER. Abby wanders in, (laughs) clearly very sick. Her rash is getting worse. She's covered in a rash. She's pale and clammy. She looks disoriented. And Arian checks her in at the front desk. He, like, takes her pulse and... Puts his hand on. Yeah, the rash is stretched up to her neck, and he examines that. And he recognizes her. He's got a newspaper he's reading behind the desk. Everybody in this hospital is just about to identify Abby. Right. So he's reading this newspaper, which has got a huge picture of her in it. And then a cop walks in. She gets nervous. And by the time he puts the paper down to look at her again to confirm, she's gone. She's gone. The nurse goes to tell the cops that right. he saw Abby, and he's like, sorry, I didn't recognize her earlier. Yeah, he says, oh, she's got a fever, trouble with coordination and balance, rash all over her body. And Dr. Emily freaks out a lot, is like, she's got no, that's an allergic reaction. <laughs> she's only her? allergic to one thing, which is codeine, and she would never knowingly take codeine. And Quincy's like, okay, logical conclusion, someone's, someone's force-feeding her codeine. poisoning her codeine. <laughs> yeah. can, we, can we switch to calling her Emily Hanover Reacts? <laughs> yes! <laughs> Great. Uh, Doctor, excuse me, Dr. Emily excuse Hanover. Excuse me. Excuse she me. She didn't spend however many years in overreacting medical school <laughs> to be called Miss Emily Hanover Reacts. Every room she goes in is an emergency room. <laughs> <laughs> We're setting precedent going forward. Every room is an emergency room. Every room. If Dr. Emily Hanover Reacts is there. Okay, so Quincy's like, oh, obviously someone is force feeding her. Codeine, yeah. and then Quincy's partner comes, or someone comes in. I sure. can't keep all these cops Who straight. Cares? Someone comes in, thumbprint guy, and it's like, well, we ID'd the murderer's print. It's Molly Howard, who of course is zombie Molly. And Emily goes, it all makes sense yeah, now. That's the line. It's <laughs> and like, I wrote, how? Does it? <laughs> how does it make sense, Emily? Does Would you it like make to sense? Expound upon that because I thought it made perfect sense to you that music killed the boy. I yeah. thought that made sense. Well, lots of so... things make sense until something else makes sense, Chelsea. <laughs> Right. And that's then that's all the thing that makes sense. That's the march of human progress. Yep. So now they're like, okay, okay, now we know. Molly killed Zach. <laughs> I forgot about this next scene. And now she's trying to kill Abby to cover it up. Yes. Very slowly and ineffectively. <laughs> she's trying to kill Abby over somebody the course who, of many weeks. Somebody who definitely knows another method of killing somebody. <laughs> somebody who, you know... It's proven that they can murder somebody. Right. It's like, well, I'll just do this drug thing. And Quincy's like, we got to find those girls. We don't know how many more pills it will take to kill her. So now we're approaching oh, the inmost cave. Yeah, the inmost cave, which appropriately takes place at Ground Zero. Yeah, super fun inmost cave, Ground Zero Punk Club. <laughs> and we cut to Quincy begging <laughs> Ground Zero's nebbishy old owner to let him go on stage and talk to the crowd for two minutes. You know the guy who illegally fingerprinted every kid in his club? He's got 
real hang-ups about letting well, this cop come on stage really, and talk to them. Yeah, for two I was minutes. like, hey, Quincy, just threaten to shut down the club. He'll do whatever you want. <laughs> so Quincy gets up on stage. He's like, hey, hey, fellow kids, all the <laughs> all the charges against Abby are dropped. Just help me find her. And the punks are like, yeah, no, we don't trust cop. That's a big part of our yeah. brand. You see, we've we don't got, trust cops. We've so. got a severely bad actor here. <laughs> by the way, we cut to a bunch of punks. <laughs> But one of them is like, we don't like your rules and your authority. You're the real killers, your whole sick society. There it is. Yeah, it's that guy. And you're like, can you? We adjust your lousy. And then he says, escape. <laughs> try again. Try again. Says, try again. He says, we're just your lousy escape goats. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, Chelsea, you always blame the goat that gets away. I laughed so hard. I had to pause it and rewind it. I was like, did he say escape goats? We're just your lousy escape goats. Escape goats. Oh, that's fucking (laughs) solid punk rock gold right there. I didn't think this could get any more misguided. I did have to rewind and be like, isn't an accent thing. No, no, no. He just se- read scapegoats and thought that's a typo. So Quincy, Quincy says he's just looking for Abby, and everybody's distrusting him, and well, that's just good instinct. And by then the this way. kid goes, "Who the hell cares, man?" Yeah, it's like they don't even care enough. This just rings real dumb. Yeah, they're well, just like we don't even care enough to help find a girl who's in trouble. You we're punks. Is, we're nihilists. Yeah, you know what else is fucking dumb? What? Quincy lays out the entire murder investigation in front of them. Like he, he talks does. about like the evidence they have and who they really think yeah, is the murderer. Like, the real murderer is Molly Howard. He says to the crowd of Molly Howard's friends. Yeah. Whoops. And but then it turns out. Uh, I'm used to dealing with dead people. You guys have too many opinions. (laughs) So Molly's boyfriend, Skip or something, is at the club (laughs) and hears all of this. So they cut to Quincy and Dr. Hanover reacts, leaving the club discouraged. But then close up on Skip's face, who's heard all this. So he goes home and cut to Molly, Abby, and Skip puzzling, doing more puzzling. More puzzles, but they're also planning Abby uh, and uh, zombie Molly are going to go up north to hide out. Until this all blows over, yeah. which, guys, you know, there's no statute of limitations well, on murder. How, how long until they forget about this murder <laughs> thing? Right. Abby has washed off all her makeup, and Molly's trying to force feed her more codeine. And then it's Skip to the rescue. An Wait, unlikely and unwanted what? hero. He saves Abby. He says, don't take that. It's codeine. Look, look on the bottle. It's codeine. And then he lays out Molly's whole nefarious plot because I guess Quincy got through to him. Sure. At first I was like... How is this? This is the supreme ordeal. This is the climax. A character who has had one line before this swoops in and saves the day. How does this make sense? And then I was like, this only makes sense if like Quincy got through to him in that terrible speech at the club. So this is somehow still Quincy's victory. But it's the least. He broke a a self-proclaimed punker out of his nihilism. I guess so. But we haven't really seen this. He he says something at the fucking Adrian Mercer show, I think. But well, he says we we just want to be left alone and not get hassled. Uh, Abby immediately believes this because of course she does. 
It yeah, makes and, sense. Oh, and he's like, you didn't kill Zach, by the way. Molly killed yeah. Zach. And, and then and Molly goes behind the curtain. <laughs> no, wait, before she does that, <laughs> she accuses Abby of being zapped by the brain police. Oh, yes, yes. This guy's been zapped by the brain That's police. That's it, yeah. Skip has been zapped by the brain police. So Abby Maybe. goes, how could you do this? And Molly launches into... Behind the curtain. What was probably the side that she auditioned with to get this part. For sure. She walks through them slowly, kind of coming unraveled, and she goes, I don't know, the music made me do it. I, I don't remember anything but the music. I was all high on drugs, and and uh, the music is all the, the thing that made me do And I wrote, so I guess we know where the writer lands on the question of whether or not the music turns kids into zombies, yeah. because she can't remember anything but the music making her... She says, I just got caught up in it. I never meant to hurt him, says the girl who's been slowly methodically poisoning her yeah. best friend over the course of several For weeks. Sure. Without any help from music, by the uh-uh. way. She's she, been streamed, like, just been poisoning notice, on her own. She doesn't put on a record and like, by the way, you should take this pill. Exactly. So it's like, oh, a murderer who is trying to murder a second person is blaming the music for the first murder. Yeah. This sounds like you are trying to use punk sounds music like as an escape murderers. goat. Yeah. Sounds like an escape goat. But it does sound like <laughs> an escape goat. But by the way, at this moment, Abby looks at Zombie Molly exactly like she will look at Michael Scott in 20 years. <laughs> and it is chilling. <laughs> Already, she has got this, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed in you yes. look. But I'm also kind yes. of mad look. Oh, it's... Oh, mwah so good so that's the supreme ordeal and you know the side of good has won i guess mm-hmm. and the reward and consequences that comes after is dr emily hanover reacts brings abby back home to her mother and says you two have a lot of catching up to do and abby's all it could have been me mom it could have been me who killed him i was just as spaced out as molly was and i wrote no clearly molly is a sociopath yeah she tried to poison you yeah Molly is a bad person who kills people. Yeah. She just happened to be at a punk club that night. Right. She just happened to kill that one dude. She was going to kill somebody eventually. Like, you know, you. Uh, (laughs) Right. And her mother says, I'm going to help you make a fresh new start. Big hugs, big smiles. Reconciliation. We're supposed to assume everything's going to be okay with their relationship. And then we have a little quick... Act three, which we don't usually oh, get, oh, which sure. is the healing of the community, return with the elixir. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Quincy and Emily are closing down a club. A real club, see, with real music. Yeah. Jazzy big band music. They were 100% drunk. <laughs> like responsible in- adults enjoy. Yeah. And the club owner comes by and is like, you got to get out of here, see? And they're like, no, we're just they're kids like, in hey, love. if you make us go, I'll shut down this club. <laughs> Give me the fingerprints of everybody in here. <laughs> So they stand up and start dancing to this big band, and, and yeah. Quincy starts waxing about waxing poetic about I, Glenn Dorsey. I and- said exactly that. Here's 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 what I've written down. Quincy waxes romantic over the big band era, citing musicians like pill and alcohol addict Glenn Miller, vicious taskmaster who often lost his cool and made people miserable, Benny Goodman, yes. and Tommy Dorsey, who married a 16-year-old, cheated on her, married someone else, beat up a guy who hugged that woman, <laughs> cheated on her, married a dancer, and then died choking on his own vomit after taking too many sleeping pills because he was addicted to sleeping pills. You know, musicians who only ever felt good. Right. And music that makes you say a sentence like Quincy says, why would anybody want to listen to music that makes you hate when you can listen to music that makes you love? A or- square sentence has ne'er been spoken. Nay. 
So, so that's, that's the end of this bullshit. That's the end of that fucking nonsense. I meant to bring this up. Uh, the the Adrian Mercer show might as well have been completely reenacted in 1995 when Marilyn Manson and his band came on the show. Yeah. But on Donahue. On Donahue. On Phil Donahue. And Marilyn Manson came on the show and of course looked like Marilyn Manson and his band looks and yeah. and were open for so much ridicule. But then, you know, because he's uh, of of some nature of intelligence and he didn't buy into it, he just spoke calmly and effectively about right. how music is, is salvation for a lot of people. Um, he didn't say it on this show, but but later he would encapsulate the, the sentiments that he said on that show in a quote. Uh, when I was growing up, music was the only escape. If you put on a record, it's not going to yell at you about the way you dress. It's going to make you feel better about it. Yeah. Which is fair. He also wrote an article in 1999 for Rolling Stone about the aftermath of Columbine. He's also very extreme and strident in his his own way. So I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to pretend like Marilyn Manson is is a balanced or like gives a fair rebuttal that considers everyone's points. He's coming from his own place, of course. Yeah. But he wrote of the two teenagers that that, uh, killed their schoolmates – even if they were fans of mine, that gives them no excuse, nor does it mean the music that the music is to blame. Did we look for James Huberty's inspiration when he gunned down people at McDonald's? What did Timothy McVeigh like to watch? Mm. What about David Koresh, Jim Jones? Do you think entertainment inspired Kip Kinkle, or should we blame the fact that his father bought him the guns he used in Springfield, Oregon murders? What inspires Bill Clinton to blow up people in Kosovo? Was it something Monica Lewinsky said to him? Isn't killing just killing, regardless if it's in Vietnam or Jonesboro, Arkansas? Why do we justify one just because it seems to be for the right reasons? Should there ever be a right reason? If a kid is old enough to drive a car or buy a gun, isn't he old enough to be held personally responsible for what he does with his car or gun? Or if he's a teenager, should someone else be blamed because he isn't as enlightened as an 18-year-old should be? America loves to find an icon to hang its guilt on. When I started watching this episode, I didn't get but about five minutes into it before I had to share my outrage with somebody. So I reached out to friends of the podcast, the band Altered Revelations. I asked them, you know, this is what this episode is saying. As somebody who's into heavy metal, metalcore music, who enjoys those shows, who goes to shows where there's, uh, you know, always a mosh pit. In fact, a lot of those shows... What slam dancing? There's so much slam dancing. In fact, I was at a slam dancery recently watching Ice Nine Kills, which is an amazing band, by the way. When I accidentally got kicked in the face. Oh right, I remember that. Yeah, you know what? You know what I have to say about that show? Did you take an ice pick out of your boot and stab someone? Yeah, but that was unrelated. Oh okay, okay. <laughs> don't don't escape goat me here. Uh, <laughs> no, and I look back with nothing but fondness over that 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 show because it was incredible and I had a nice time except for that point where I got accidentally kicked in the face. But Garrett, uh, Garrett Nabriga, who's a singer in that band, a singer, guitarist, drummer, they do all the things for each other, wrote me uh, a comment, a statement. A statement. We have a statement from a band. We do. We have a a self-proclaimed punker. A band, a punker has reached out to us specifically. (laughs) Punker, Garrett, punker Nobringa. Uh, he wrote this really well thought out statement about the issues brought up in this episode, and I'm going to read it in its entirety. The notion that heavy shows, mosh pits, or slam dancing are a dangerous, hate-filled environment is a sentiment as outdated as tattoos being for criminals, hookers, and gangbangers. I'm a heavy metal musician. I've been to I don't even know how many shows, and I am in the pit for most, if not all of them. 
Common misconception about heavy shows is that they are breeding grounds for angry music fueled by hate, which is no more true for metal than it is for folk or bluegrass, both of which have a much heavier and much more violent history, both in subject matter and real-life history. When I go to a show, it's never because I'm angry or frustrated or I want to hurt anyone. In fact, the nicest people you'll ever meet on a regular basis at shows are in the pit. There's an unspoken etiquette that everyone upholds because we want to have a good time. Everybody is watching each other. If somebody falls, they are immediately grabbed up off the floor so they aren't trampled. Someone loses a shoe or phone 99% of the time. Someone will find it and hold it up until it's claimed. We are there out of excitement. Think of it this way. When you're really happy, it's usually because you're excited about whatever's going on. What is your natural reaction when you get to a certain level of excitement? Usually a lot of big motions, jumping, usually you get louder, etc. Heavier music is one of the only forms of art that there is that really encompasses that level of excitement. So when you get to be in a room full of like-minded people who share that level of excitement, you want to move accordingly. Mosh pits are the physical embodiment of that natural human reaction that you don't often get to express in public, whether it's because it's social unacceptable or you just look insane and then he goes on to say that there's of course a danger in it but it's the same danger you'd find in any physically oriented activity right and he reiterates the fact that yeah there's assholes in every group of people doing things but most for the most part everyone you'll meet and i agree with this as many shows as i've been to are nice and nobody's out to hurt somebody else. Here's the thing. And I'm glad we're now talking about metal music because this could not be more timely in that just last week, they caught a suspect in the Louisiana church burnings that happened in Opelousas, Louisiana. Three African-American black churches were burned down. Turns out the suspect is the sheriff's son. Mm. And they immediately release a press release that says he was influenced by black metal music. And mm, that's why sure. he burned down three black churches. And I immediately was Wait, like... Black metal? Like African-American metal? No, no, no. no, okay, no. We'll talk about black metal music in a minute. Yeah. But I was like, oh, I think you meant racism mm -hmm. because he didn't burn down any white churches. <laughs> Funny. And he had three chances. So... um. <laughs> And some black metal music does have overtly racist and neo-Nazi themes, but that's racism. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the same if you read about it in a pamphlet. You can find that in all in music. all forms. Yeah. Black metal music is really an interesting... It, it's funny because someone just told me about this movie. So there's a black metal band from yes. Scandinavia called Mayhem, just like mm -hmm. this fictional band. Oh, yeah. And the guy that was in the band burned down churches and killed one of his bandmates. Oh, I thought you were going somewhere else with this. Yeah. And they blamed the black metal music for his behavior when it's like that guy's clearly a psychopath yeah the way that you can tell science from opinion basically just reductively summed up is that the basis for science is that its effects have got to be reproducible right so which is in order for this to make any sense every person exposed to this or a large percentage sure. of people exposed to this kind of quote, violence-inducing music would need to become violent in order for this theory to be borne out. And if it isn't the case, then correlation is not causation. Right. You just, you can't say this music makes people violent when the vast majority of people who listen to it will never commit a violent act. Absolutely. And it's insidious. This specific brand of panic and blame is insidious because it leads to being able to point out any fact about right. anybody who does anything and say and contribute it to wherever you want to contribute it. Yeah. It's a way to prop up one's own religion or values or uh, political beliefs 
by just saying like this person who did this bad thing believes right. the opposite of me. So therefore everybody who believes the opposite of me is right. this kind of person. And it's almost impossible to test scientifically because there's a division between violent thoughts and violent actions. And you can't really prompt someone to create a violent action in the name of science. Yeah. <laughs> LA Weekly summed up in an article from a few years ago, sort of like the takeaways from several of these kinds of studies, mm. and they all contradict each other. So there's one that the takeaway is men who listen to misogynistic lyrics respond by being aggressive towards women. And the way they tested that was that after they listened to misogynistic lyrics, they had to make sandwiches for mm-hmm. men and women, and they put more hot sauce in the sandwiches for women. Okay. And that's how they proved that they were being aggressive. Sure. And then there was another study, just the very next study talked about in the article says... Adolescent boys who listen to aggressive music, rather than becoming aggressive, acted that acted as an outlet for frustration and aggressive thoughts. So it's so variable by person. Yeah. Even if you do listen to lyrics or music that makes you feel temporarily, because we all have emotions and they are not permanent states of being. True. Temporarily more aggressive or misogynistic or upset. That doesn't mean you're going to stab someone. It, it doesn't. doesn't even mean you're going to turn around and say something mean to someone. It doesn't mean that that's a permanent effect. And in fact, I would I would go so far as to say that a majority of the time, at least in my case and anybody else I've ever known, you don't listen to music to tell you how to feel. You listen to music because you are feeling a certain way and want right. to feel that somebody understands mm-hmm. that. You want to be able to express that in a way um um yes uh recently uh somebody i know found a song that summed up a very emotional point in their life that they've just gotten through mm-hmm. we talked about it and it's nice to be able to something with like complicated upsetting feelings it's nice to be able to just have a song that you can sing along and and get those sort of feelings out and what this episode tries to do is basically absolve Quincy's and Dr. Emily Overreacts, mm-hmm. um, Han Overreacts Han generation of anything they might have done to leave the world worse than they found it for their children and just says, Blatantly, yeah. the music is what makes you angry. Yeah, the and music like, is going to keep no. you from cleaning up our mess. Exactly. Which it, is so, so it's, it's the fact that we've grown up in live, like having to do nuclear war drills and we're inheriting a fucked up economy and it's it's we have legitimate concerns and by you saying that the music is what's making us angry you're just punting that down the line and being like not our fault even worse you're making it so that it is more difficult to concentrate on the actual problems which which could have actual solutions you're just using music as an escape coat. <laughs> all right. That's, I feel like that's, we've, we've talked a we lot. We definitely talked about what we've learned. Yeah. That's all the we've stuff all we've learned. learned so much. Who did you want to hug? Fucking Melora Harden, who's Me who I wanted too. to hug. The character and Melora Harden herself. Look, usually we're here to make fun of acting. We've definitely made fun of one specific not great actor and his misinterpretation of a very common phrase. Melora Harden does a fantastic job in this. Elevates this material much more than she it She has to look to into a mirror and sing the lines of Choke yeah. with a straight face. Saw a blind man the other day stole his stole pencils, his pencils ran, away. ran away. And she just sells it, man. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you to Mark 
for suggesting this. Yeah. Thank you, as always, to the Josh Miller Memorial Snack Time Hour and today's special wing of the Memorial Hour. Doesn't make sense. Nope. Uh, Rissy for dis- uh, recommending a disgusting snack that we hated. <laughs> Can't all be winners. Yep, no. Nope. Can't all be Ocho but bars. But we always appreciate the suggestions. <laughs> yeah, it was an experience for sure. So yeah, Chelsea, next time we are going to watch our very first episode of Hey Arnold. It's Christmas in whatever month this is. <laughs> uh, Christmas in spring summer as we look at Arnold's Christmas. This is season one, episode 11. You can find this on Hulu. Yeah. And we and suggest you watch it. You uh, can find all of Hey Arnold on Hulu, which is awesome. We'll also have a very special guest yes. next week. Our friend Jonathan House will be here to talk Hey Arnold with us. Fantastic. So uh, why don't you come on back and join us also? Scapegoat. Bring snacks. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to Hugging and Learning. If you want to visit us online, our website is huggingandlearning.com, where you can find links to all the articles we talked about today, as well as our post office box where you can mail us snacks. Subscribe to our podcast, rate and review, and tell your friends about us. If you want to drop us a line, you can email us at huggingandlearningpodcast at gmail.com. You can tell us about the experiences you've had with things we talked about. Or you can send us suggestions on which episodes we should do next. Our podcast is produced by Miles Pulaski, who also wrote our theme music. I'm Andrew. And I'm Chelsea. See you next time. Bring snacks!